Well, we live in a world where many things we use come with warnings, right? You're out Christmas shopping, you're buying different products. A lot of products we find today have some warning labels on them. And warnings are good for us, right? Warnings are good for us to heed and to recognize potential dangers. Some products, however, come with some warnings that are absolutely odd. Taking, uh, for instance, blowtorch gas bottle. Well, the warning label there says, contents may catch fire. That <laughs> seems to be pretty obvious. Uh, Videl Sassoon hair dryers. They have instructions for use right on their box. And that warning is, do not use while sleeping. <laughs> for those of you that may be inclined to blow dry your hair while sleeping, maybe not do that. Um, Chainsaws come with a nice warning label. Do not hold the wrong end of the chainsaw, in case you're not sure. You wanna make sure you know what's the right way to hold it. And then lastly, Jabra Drive and Talk speaker comes with a warning label. Never operate your speakerphone while driving, which seems to kind of nullify the whole point of a speaker, wireless speaker while driving. So we see that there are some odd warning labels and warnings for us, but in our context, in Colossians chapter 2 here, Paul has been warning the believer of potential danger. Danger that we need to clearly heed. Dangers that we need to be aware of that can easily creep into the church as Paul has been contending for the believers there in Colossus and the potential harms that are coming their way. Remember there in Colossians chapter 2, last week we began in verse 8. And what does Paul say there right in verse 8? He says, um, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul right there sounding the alarm, beware. Be cautious of things that, or people that might come in to try to cheat you and rob you of that simplicity being in Christ. And so Paul's gonna continue on now. We're gonna pick it up in verse 16, move to the end of the chapter. Paul's gonna continue on with these warnings for us, things that we need to beware of. Three things he's gonna highlight for us. Beware of legalism, verse 16 and 17. Beware of mysticism, verses 18 and 19. And then beware of asceticism in verses 20 to 23. Three things that can easily come in to any church today or come up against the believer today to seek to lead you away from your fullness being in Christ, from your dependency being in Christ alone. So we're gonna talk about those things here. Today. Look at verse 16. It says this. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Don't you like that? Let no one judge you. Aren't you glad that because of Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ? There's no reason now for us to be judged based on what we do or don't do what we observe or not observe when it comes to the things of of the word of God and of Christ. You can now drink uh, of things that maybe some of you might look at and go, why would you do that? I was the other day just having dinner with my family and uh, we're kind of finished our meal and there was a pitcher of milk sitting on the table and a, uh, a thing of Pepsi. I decided, well, let's uh, blend these two. And I poured some milk, poured some Pepsi together, had a drink, it was great. 
If it works for Laverne and Laverne and Shirley, maybe I can try it, right? But my son was looking at me just aghast like, what are you doing? You are so weird, right? I mean, they already think that, but that didn't help matters. I was out and about, and I, I just this week hit a McDonald's drive-thru. And right now, some of you are judging me just for that. I know you are, right? <laughs> Listen, there's no judgment. And I, I went to drive-thru, and I, I ordered a Happy Meal for myself. <laughs> Not joking. I, I literally did. And I know some of you are going, that pastor, we need to pray for him. There's something. I knew there was something off of them. But there's no judgment any longer for these things. Isn't that great? Now, Paul is dealing with people that are coming into the church, you see. Not only is he dealing with these Gnostic thinkers that were coming in, looking to add to the things of Christ with this new philosophy, new, you know, new revelations as we're gonna talk about, uh, new ideas, but he, Paul's also having to contend with the Jewish, uh, we call them Judaizers, which were Jews that were coming to faith in Christ, but now that they come to faith in Christ, they're still kind of, kind of contemplating, well, what things of the old system, the Mosaic law, do we still need to apply and adhere to? How does that balance out now? Now that we've received life in Jesus through his death and resurrection, we've committed our lives to Christ, well, what does that mean now for us? And the early church continually had to kind of push back against these Judaizers that would come in and say, oh, listen, you can have Jesus. We're not, we're not arguing that, but you should still follow all these religious rituals, regulations, and requirements that we've had all along. Just because you're Christian now doesn't mean you leave your Jewishness behind. And that's what the, the church was having to contend with. That's what Paul had to kind of you know, go against oftentimes, so much so that in Acts chapter 17, there was that the, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 15, there was the, the Jerusalem council that met because they were trying to decide, okay, these Gentiles that come into the church, what do we need to require of them? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to follow all these you know, requirements that were a part of the law from the, from the Old Testament? Do they still need to apply these things? And they had to meet to kind of figure out what are we gonna make of the Gentiles coming to, to faith, coming to God? Are we gonna bring them under the system or are they gonna experience freedom in Christ? And they said, okay, we're not gonna require any of these things except you know, to abstain from meat offered to idols, to abstain from you know, blood and, and sexual immorality, good things to abstain from, no doubt. But they didn't put all these extra heavy burdens on and yet that's what was happening so often. These Judaizers said, no, receive Jesus, but you still need to practice the law. And they introduced this legalism where they began to judge other believers for what they were doing or not doing, what they were observing or not observing. And they began to say, you need to follow all of these things. The Jews, you see, they had many dietary restrictions. So when they see Gentiles sitting there eating bacon, they're like, ah, you can't be saved if you're eating that stuff. And they're freaking out and they're bringing them under all these dietary restrictions and also different days that they pronounce as holy or feasts. Sabbath, they said, you gotta follow these things or else you can't really be right with God. And you see, they were using all of these things as kind of a measure of your spirituality or righteousness, thinking when you do these things, then you'll really be right with God. And it's what can easily creep into our own lives and into our church today. You understand, understand something that that default position of our heart as humans is oftentimes to revert to religion to works, to think, I've got to earn my way. We have a hard time with grace. We really do. I have a hard time with grace. I love grace. I'm thankful for grace. I stand in grace. 
But I have a hard time with that because we, by default, want to feel like we're contributing, we're earning. We're, if somebody gives you something right away, we're thinking, oh my goodness, I gotta, they just gave me a Christmas card. Now I got to give them a Christmas card. Oh my goodness. And we, we struggle with those things, right? Just receiving by grace. And so we have to fight against, resist that temptation to be brought into a legalistic lifestyle where we feel like by what I'm doing, I'm contributing to God loving me and receiving me. And we, we, we fight against that. And Paul is dealing with that here. And we have to understand that, that legalism does nothing for us because it's already been complete and done in Christ. So Paul would say in Colossians 2.10, understand, you are, what? Colossians 2.10, you're complete in Christ. You have everything you need in him. You're not gonna add to it. You're not gonna make it better. You're not gonna make him love you more by what you do. Legalism tends to put the onus on ourselves for our own standing before God. And the people here were struggling with that and, and trying to deal with that from these Judaizers coming in. Now, we see that happen today even with people who have come to Christ and they begin to get wrapped up in, well, you know, our roots really come from Judaism and maybe we better apply some of these things tomorrow. And I've seen people just kind of get pulled away into, again, a legalistic mindset, thinking, well, yeah, we need to follow all of these feasts and we need to follow the Sabbath and worship only on Saturday and you're kind of missing it if you're not doing it. And I've seen people move away from Christ to want to become more Jewish in a sense. The Bible doesn't say, you know, to be saved, repent and be more Jewish and then you'll be saved in your household. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says put your trust in Jesus. Now there's some great things as we're going to see about a lot of these feasts that I'm not saying to celebrate them is wrong but we don't do it to earn favor with God. We don't follow these different practices thinking they're gonna make us more right with God. Yet there are many Christians that think following a system or a set of rules is gonna add to their spiritual experience. There was a, a, a town that celebrated July 4th every year with a great big you know, coming together and a potluck and there was a Catholic priest and a Jewish rabbi that would always attend and they were good friends and they liked to kind of joke uh, around with one another and so they showed up on July 4th and the Catholic priest is there talking to his Jewish rabbi friend saying hey when are you gonna just break down and have some ham here look at this I mean we've got Mrs. Hall's famous baked ham you don't know what food is until you tried that when are you just gonna give up all this stuff Break down and just try some of this ham. And the Jewish rabbi said to his Catholic priest friend, how about at your wedding? <clears throat> you see, all these things, all these things can easily get in the way of us enjoying the beauty and the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is that we have everything in Christ. You are complete in Christ. All these things that had a place in the Mosaic system, in the law, what does Paul say in verse 17? They are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The substance is of Christ. All those things that we would celebrate, look to, follow, or observe, they're not wrong, 
but you see, they were picturing and foreshadowing something greater that was to come. And the substance is of Christ. Every Passover celebrated was to be a picture of the work that we'd find in fullness in and through Jesus Christ, who became for us that Passover lamb, died on a cross to save us of our sin and provide redemption, to provide deliverance from our sin. That's what Passover was celebrating, deliverance out of Egypt. Now we see that in Jesus Christ. The Feast of Unleavened Bread signifies and resembles the sinless sacrifice that Jesus gave so that we could be forgiven of sin. The Feast of first fruits celebrates how Jesus is that first fruits of the resurrection, that as he died and rose again, oh, there's gonna be many more to come that our eternity rests in him, our eternal life rests in him. The Feast of Trumpets commemorates and looks forward to the day that Jesus is gonna sound the trumpet and rapture us up to meet him in the air. All these feasts were wonderful, but they all pointed to a greater reality. And that reality is Jesus Christ. Every, every sacrifice, burnt offering, the drink offering, heave offering, whatever, all those sacrifices were picturing the work that Jesus did for us. Every Sabbath was meant, Sabbaths are great, but the Sabbath was simply picturing again the rest that we would find in completion in Jesus. He now has provided for us that Sabbath because the work is done. When he rose, ascended to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, meaning the work is complete. The work is done. We no longer have to strive for anything. We find our rest in Jesus. Now, Sabbath was, was given, no doubt, for them to have that day where they would come to a point of rest. And that day was Saturday, and so they began to worship God. They be, believed that was the day to worship God. Nothing wrong with that. We, we come together on Sundays. Why? Because the early church began to meet on Sundays. Why? Because that was the day that Jesus rose again. He rose again on the first day of the week, Sunday. The early church began to meet on Sunday. That's the day we have in our culture that primarily... Businesses are closed. People are off work. That's the day that we go, hey, it makes sense for us to meet on Sunday. If we lived in a culture where Tuesday was the day that everybody had off work, we'd probably do church on Tuesday. It just makes sense. And nobody would be able to look down on you and judge you and go, Tuesday, don't you know that that comes from the root of the God of da, da, da? No, no, no. We worship because it just makes sense to worship on Tuesday. It doesn't matter when we worship because every day we're to be living for Jesus and living in worship of Jesus every single day. Don't let anybody judge you, Paul says, based on any day or on any food or drink or celebrating a feast or festival or new moon. Don't let anybody judge you on those things. Because if your focus is Jesus and what you do, if you're doing it unto Jesus and for Jesus, Christmas is another thing, isn't it? <laughs> I might be stepping on some toes here, but I mean, we look at, and, and throughout, you know, decades that I've been a part of church, I mean, you get some people that are like, oh, Christmas comes from a pagan tradition. It's all steeped in, you know, Christmas trees, they're evil, and you should not have a Christmas tree. And we, we falter back into these things. I mean, there's arguments to be made on, on both sides of that. But the ultimate thing is that we're not bringing in a Christmas tree because we want to worship some false deity. This is all about Jesus. We celebrate Jesus. We put up some decorations, no doubt, but these are not to be some kind of 
worship to a false deity. We just want to worship Christ, the substances of Christ. We worship him. And so if you can put up a Christmas tree in your home without it being about worshiping a false god and it being about, I'm just wanting to live for Jesus, then have at it. This is what Paul is getting at here. We can make such a big deal about different things and yet lose sight of what it's all about. It's all about Jesus and you are complete in him. All these things that people were holding on to, observances of diet and days, it was causing people just to look kind of down on, disdainfully upon one another and judge others for their participating in or not participating in different outward observances. And we need to be careful that we don't judge one another based on what they may eat or drink or if they're participating in a particular event or not. If you're looking down on and judging others for not following the same practices as you, you become a legalist. If we're using these things to declare our good standing before God, then you've entered into legalism. We need to be careful of that. And, and never has legalism been a good, profitable thing in the church. Whenever legalism creeps into a church, you begin to see a church that's being robbed of joy. They're lacking in love. They become very judgmental. Legalism leads people away from their relationship with Christ. It begins to be based then in their good works and not in his good work. We have a great freedom, my friends, as believers, and it's found in Jesus Christ. May we keep him the focus. May we recognize that all these things that once had a form of religion to it, it's all just simply pointed to Jesus. And when you have Jesus, then you are complete. You have all you need. Don't let anybody judge you that, and don't be judgmental on others. Another error that was creeping in church was that of mysticism. Look what Paul says here in verse 18. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen and vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So the legalism imposed upon the Colossian believers came about primarily by these Judaizers, but now this kind of philosophy, new philosophy, new religion in a sense, came about by these Gnostics here, these ones that began to view the things of flesh and matter as evil. They said God couldn't have created everything because he would have needed matter, and matter is evil, so God couldn't have touched that. God didn't create uh, the universe, didn't create uh, the earth. He created different spiritual beings that could eventually be so far removed from God that they could create everything. And they'd say Jesus himself didn't have a, an a earthy physical body because to take on a physical body would have been taking on evil. It would have corrupted Jesus. He didn't do it. So they had this different teaching and a different way to reach God. They said, we can help you unlock all this new revelation, secret codes to work through these different created beings to kind of reach God. And they came in with this new philosophy, new idea, new, new thinking that was, again, essentially leading people away from Jesus. They said, oh, Jesus is great, but he's just one of those many created spiritual beings. He's not the way, he's a way. He's one of the steps along the way, but we can help you now unlock all these secret truths, bring you into this kind of secret society and help you move along to reach God to be right with God. This is the things that, that was coming in. And you see what was happening is it was cheating people. It was 
taking them away from their reward. What's their reward? Well, their reward is simply life in Christ by his grace alone. Paul talks about running that race to receive that prize. Don't you know that all run a race, but only one receives the prize? Paul says in Philippians 3, um, oh, what does he say now? I can't remember. My mind is drawing a blank here. Um, how about I just look it up? Let me just look it up. It's right there. Philippians chapter 3. I had it in the other services. Um, Brother, do not count myself. That's it. Philippians 3, verse 13. Do not count myself yet to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, man, I want that prize. And that prize is just life with Jesus, not just life now, but life eternal, being with him one day face to face. And I don't want anything to get in the way or trip me up from receiving that. Don't let anybody cheat you out of your reward. Your reward is Jesus Christ. Him and him alone, it's all we need. And yet people were taking people away, shifting focus, putting the emphasis away from Jesus, not letting it be on Jesus and on him alone. And they would do so with, notice what Paul says there. He says in in Colossians 2.18 that they take delight in false humility. See, they would come about in in a very humble pretense. They'd say, oh, listen, understand something. God is just so great, man. He's so big, and and we are so unworthy of coming before God. We can't do that on our own. No, we need help. We need other means. Now, they're right in that, but the only means is through Jesus Christ, the only mediator that we need to reach God. But they would begin to apply other things. Oh, we need other ways to reach God. We can't do it on our own. And they'd have this kind of false humility. Try to, you know, put themselves down. You know, there's a lot of people that, that like to have this false humility for the purpose of having people come and build them up. Oh no, don't put yourself down. Oh no, you're not so bad. And people will put themselves down to have others come and simply build them up and praise them. In the end, it's, it's simply feeding their own pride. But it's done in, in a false pretense. These, these false teachers were doing that very thing, coming with a false humility, letting people think, oh yeah, boy, we need these other means to, to reach God. And in so doing, these other means were through these other created beings or angels. And so they began to have an unhealthy view of angels. They began, as Paul says, to even worship angels, say, oh, you know what? Just worship those angels. We don't need to just worship God. We can worship angels. And they were bringing in this false religion, a, 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 a new philosophy, new revelations that took people away from Christ. You know, it happens today in the, in the Catholic Church where you'll hear, you know what? You can pray to saints. You can go through these different saints and, and, and have, make your way to God. Through there. Or you can pray to Mary. Mary's our co-redemptress, they'll say. Through Je- or to Jesus, through Mary, they'll say. And, and what do they do? They lead people away from the supremacy of Christ, from the all-sufficiency of Christ. And they take people away. We look at our own lives and go, are there things that I've allowed in my life to begin to lead me away from Christ, to begin to cheat me of the reward that I might have otherwise of just living solely dependent in and in a right relationship with Jesus and him alone? Are there things that I've allowed in to cheat me of those things? Because it's out there. 
People fall prey to these things all the time. These Gnostic, these, these Gnostic teachers came in and what else? Paul says they, they intrude into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. So they begin to you know, present new revelations or new visions and say, you know what? I've heard. I've heard from a secret source. This is what we need to do. And they're taking people away from just the word of God. That happens today in the church as well. Where new age philosophy slowly creeps in. A lot of books you read from different authors under the label of Christian writing has a lot of new age thought in it. It's quite sad and crazy. But it slowly creeps into the church. Or there'll be those that say, you know what, I'm just coming to church today hoping that I receive some new revelation or that somebody will share some new word from the Lord for me. And we've got, we've got church circles or denominations that focus solely on that. Oh man, the word never gets cracked, but we're hearing from one another of a new word, a new revelation. You know what, we don't need a new revelation because we've got the revelation right here for us in God's word. He spoke to us through his word and this is all we need. And he's not gonna go outside of that. We don't need anything new. We've got it all complete right here and we will never exhaust this in our lifetime. This will never get old. This will never get routine or mundane. This will continue to speak to us as the living word of God. Now I'm not saying that somebody can't have a word from the Lord for you. That's a wonderful thing. But it's always gonna line up with the word of God. Don't take it and just go, oh, I mean, I've heard some people like with just some crazy ideas. Somebody told me that the Lord told them I needed to sell my house and move to the hills and, well, better just do that, you know? It's like, wait a second. Don't just take their word. You gotta line that up with the word of God. I've heard some crazy things passed on where people just accept it as gospel truth. Line up with the word of God. Oftentimes God's gonna be speaking in your own heart already that that's just gonna be a, a confirmation of what he's already revealing to you that people were coming in here, the church at Colossus, and they're bringing in new ideas and looking at things that they've not even seen. They're making things up, Paul is saying. And they're being puffed up by these things. They're glorying in their own spirituality. Remember, these Gnostics had a real spiritual elitism to them, and they kind of put themselves apart from other people. And we see that going on. You can oftentimes go, that sure doesn't look like Jesus. That sure doesn't look like something God would do. Paul is warning them of these things here. Beware of mysticism, new things coming in, spiritual things that, that sound good, but don't have their basis in God. Notice what Paul says here in verse 19. They're not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Here's what's happening. They were moving away from the head. You know when the body separates itself from the head? <laughs> not going to be a good thing. The body without the head is dead. We've talked about that. You need the head. And the head leads the way. Don't argue with the head. The head is the one that's leading. Jesus is our head. He's the one that leads. We follow him. And to move away from him brings death. Don't move away from him. It's in him that you're going to be nourished, that you're going to be knit together every joint and ligament, it's gonna grow with the increase that is from God. 
because we're connected to the right source. This is what Paul is saying. That's the key. We need to hold to Jesus. We need to remain in Jesus. He's the head. He shows the way. He calls the shots. Don't look for alternative ways to God or alternative ways to look spiritual because it says we remain in him that we'll find the sustenance that's needed to grow and to be strengthened and to continue on. It doesn't come about through secret codes or new revelation, through some kind of mystic thinking. It's experienced simply through abiding in Christ. You abide in Christ, you can't help but to bear fruit. The branches simply has to be attached to the tree for good to happen. The branch doesn't sit there and tries to squeeze out fruit, try to make something happen. The branches has to be connected to the tree and good is gonna come. Don't move away from him. Stay, as Paul said there in Colossians 2, stay rooted and grounded in him because you are complete in him. Lastly, we've looked at beware of legalism, beware of mysticism. Lastly, number three, beware of asceticism. Asceticism is the practice of self-discipline. Now, spiritual discipline is a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Spiritual disciplines are, you know, having quiet time, reading the word of God, spending time in prayer, fasting. All these, these are good things. But what was happening here was an extreme view to think that if I deny myself of fleshly pleasures, then I'm gonna be more holy and pure and right with God. This is what the view was. Look at what we read here in verse 20. Therefore, if you die with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So these people are coming in with this extreme sort of self-discipline cutting off the things of the flesh and thinking that it's going to make them more right with God or earn favor with God. But Paul says, you've died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. Again, those basic principles of the world uh, refer to the elementary truths, the former things before Christ. We talked about that last week. The former things before Christ. Remember, Paul uh, addresses in Galatians 3 as he's dealing with, with uh, many believers there that were getting caught up again in, in works and legalism and doing different things. Paul says, listen, the law was like a tutor. A tutor that was to lead you to Christ. So we look at the law. The law is good. We don't want to diss the law. The law is good. This is God's standard of righteousness, but the law simply shows that we're unable to be right with God by following it because we break it. We're unable to keep it fully. But Paul says, the law was like a tutor that leads you to Christ. Once you come to Christ, guess what? You no longer need a tutor. That child that has a tutor that would raise the child, that would teach the child until the child came to maturity, once the child comes to maturity, he no longer needs the tutor. It's like those of you that when you were young, growing up in your parents' house, you lived under their rules. They called the shots, right? You had curfew. You had to eat what was put in front of you. Don't complain. You had to do different chores. And you just longed for the day when you would be old enough to move out and no longer be under those rules. When you move out, you no longer need to say, oh, I got a, I got a curfew, I better give it. Oh, wait a second, no. 
I'm no longer under my parents' roof. I don't have a curfew any longer. You don't put yourself under those rules any longer. I sometimes stay up after midnight just because I can. And I, I, I regret it the next day, but I'm like, that was my decision. I can do that. We don't need to bring ourselves under, under rules any longer. Sometimes I'll call my mom at like one in the morning. Are you awake? Well, you shouldn't be. You should be in bed. I'm awake because I can make that decision now for myself. I don't do that, but, <laughs> but I'm, I, I have a, a wonderful freedom in Christ now. I have a wonderful freedom. I'm no longer under these rules bound by them any longer. I've grown up. I'm, I'm outside of my parents' jurisdiction. I can run in the house with scissors in my hand if I want to. I can eat Fruit Loops for breakfast, and sometimes I will have them for dinner just because I'm able to. It's a wonderful thing. I'm no longer under these rules that I have to confine myself or restrict myself in any way any longer now. And this is a wonderful thing. Paul is saying, you know, when you've died with Christ, we died to those things that once bound us, that held us back. But now that we've died with Christ and ultimately have now come alive in and through Christ, we are set free in him. We have new life. So don't bring that new life back under unnecessary regulations. Now the ascetic thought that they could purify the soul by the disciplines of the body. If I cut myself off from enough of these things, then I'll really purify my soul. This is what they thought. They denied themselves certain foods, certain pleasures, all to try and make themselves more righteous before God. But these, as Paul says, they're all perishable items. They have no value to the soul or the spirit. Hebrews 13 verse nine says, do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. 1 Corinthians 8, 8. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are in Christ. Paul ends verse 23 saying, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a church background that was, you know, mildly legalistic. You grew up, you know, oh, you, you shouldn't dance. Can't dance, it's not holy. Probably shouldn't go to theaters, you know. Maybe if they're G-rated, but after that, you are on your own, you know. Like, and there were a lot of rules that thought, oh. And, and little did I realize that I was placing a lot of my, my righteousness in those things. I don't listen to secular music. I only have... Christian music on the radio, I don't watch bad movies, I don't go to dances, all these things. And I thought, that's really gonna make me right with God. But you know what? It didn't help me live a more righteous life. It didn't purify things that were going on, the, the pull of the flesh. It maybe only added to it. So what Paul is saying is that these things have little value against the indulgence of the flesh. A person might think I'm going to enter into monastery so that I can escape the world only to realize that they've just brought the world with them. It's exactly what happens. It's only through Jesus Christ 
that we are going to be changed and transformed and have victory over all those things of the flesh. It's only found through faith in him. Self-imposed religion, you might look spiritual on the outside, you might look really holy, but what's really going on the inside? Because it's only through Jesus being in you, Jesus filling you, Jesus empowering you, that's gonna give you any advantage over the flesh. That's gonna help you crucify the flesh. It's gonna help you live as a new creation in and through Christ. It's only found in him. We need Jesus and him alone. The answer to legalism is the continual realization of the grace of Christ. The answer to mysticism is an understanding of how profoundly we are related to Christ. The answer to asceticism is the reckoning that we have died, been buried, and are resurrected with Christ. The answer is where it all began. It's at the foot of the cross, where Jesus has done it all for us. He's made it all possible. Our dependence is upon the work that Jesus has done for us as we experience life in him, victory in him. So we experience everything we need in Jesus Christ. Not in other means, not in legalism, not in mysticism, not in asceticism, not in self-imposed religion. It's in Christ. He's made it all possible. Let us continue to be dependent on Christ. Let us not let anything move us away from our dependency and our completeness being in Christ and in him alone. All right, let's stand together. And before we go, we've had a full day. It's been a great day. But we're just going to spend some time just waiting on the Lord. If you've got children in children's ministry, if you could sneak out and just go and pick them up. And if you want, you can come back in with your kids. We're not going to be much longer. But we want to take some time and allow the Lord to just have a time to just continue to take this word and just kind of plant that in our hearts and maybe reveal to us is there things that we've allowed into our, our, our life that we've allowed to cheat us and to rob us of what we have in Christ or our dependency being in Christ alone? Have we allowed things to trip us up and to get away from our focus being solely on Christ? Have we been living for other things thinking that's what's gonna make us right with God? Because we're missing it if we are. It's in Christ and in him alone. If you're watching online or you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you in to receive him today as your Savior, the one that forgives you your sin, the one that gives you eternal life. It's found in Jesus. He's made it all possible by dying on a cross, paying the penalty for your sin. He died, he rose again so that you, when you put your trust in him, can also receive eternal life, newness of life. Bible says you need to be born again. It's not through just believing in a God. It's by repenting of sin, putting your trust in Jesus. That's what it is to be born again. And when you're born again, you receive his life, newness of life. Receive that today. You don't have to do anything but simply call it to Jesus to say, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm in need of salvation. Would you do that today if you've not done that? Receive that free gift of salvation. And for the rest of us, let's take some time just to wait on the Lord as we sing, as we worship, and ask the Lord to reveal what he's to reveal in our own hearts today, that we might come back to that simplicity and centrality and all sufficiency being in Christ. All right, let's worship.